Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eden Road podcast. If you haven't already listened to our full-time reaction to the Liverpool game, please go and do so now. That episode is live across all of our digital platforms. Tonight, though, we've got a very special episode with you. I'm joined by esteemed company this evening, the first of which being Clayton, who is back after a short stint away. Clayton, how are you doing, mate? That's very kind of you to introduce me like that. Uh, <laughs> I'll say not much more, but yeah, good, good to be back, good to be back. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. And we're delighted to be joined by two Brentford Hall of Famers who have more than 400 appearances between them. Lots of chance, which you might get into, lots of goals and even more lasting memories. First of all, Sam Saunders. Sam, thanks for taking the time to come on the pod, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. No problem at all. And also, we've got Marcus Gale. Marcus, same to you. Much appreciated, mate. Thanks, Mike. Perfect. Let's get going. Before we do get going, there is something that I haven't told you, as is the long-standing tradition with this podcast. We get every guest to tell us their funniest Brentford story. And at some point, we are going to rank them. Uh, we've, I've been saying that for quite a while now, but we are going to rank them at some point. So unless you can think of one right off the bat, we can come back to that at the end of the episode. Uh, Dougie gave us a good one that involved some car washing at Jersey Road, Sam, which I'm sure you'll know more about than we do. But uh, yeah, remember, guys, just before we get going, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do share it around with your mates. Subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels and give us a follow on our socials. That's at the Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. So, guys, first of all, as a little preliminary kind of question, I know that you're both actively involved with the club at the moment. But, Marcus, how would you sum up your time at Brentford on the pitch? Um, my time on the pitch... Um... It was development for me. Um, I came through from the youth team into the reserves and made my way into the first team. So it was very much I was developing over a period of time. Um, and it was good. I, I really learned some 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 foundation work that was going to be, you know, paying off later on in the career as well. But all, the, all what people know me for um, in the game of football, you know, you have to celebrate what Brentford was able to do with me at the start. Gave me those building blocks of a long career. Sam, what about yourself? Sorry, what was the question? I was listening to Gary and I switched <laughs> off of what the question was. How do you how would you sum up your your time on the pitch at Brentford? <laughs> um a bit like this podcast for me, slow start. <laughs> um, 
should get better. Um, and then hopefully it don't get ruined by a knee injury halfway along the way. But no, it was pretty much that really. Slow start, didn't really hit the ground running at all. Uh, didn't really get too many minutes under Andy Scott. Uh, and then when the managers come through and that, started to get more joy. And uh, yeah, like I say, that's a, a really good period in the mid, mid middle of it. And then unfortunately an injury pretty much curtailed me for a while. A little burst back in it near the end with Dean Smith. And then, um, yeah, I say a good eight seasons, seven and a half seasons, eight seasons. But yeah, like I say, really enjoyable, really enjoyable time. Most enjoyable time of my career. Good stuff. Uh, for those that don't know, we had some technical issues at the start of this podcast. So that was that, that was Sam's little gag at the start. Um, in terms of your work capacity at the club now, Sam, what would you say is one thing you enjoy about your role at the club now? Um, there's lots of lots of things that I enjoy. Selfishly, I enjoy still being on the grass. Um, I love training as a player. I always love training. Couldn't wait to get on there and always have to get pulled off of it. Um, so that aspect of it, but then also just giving people your experiences and lucky, let's like say these these B team boys now that are at the club, they've all they're all sacrificing so much and working so hard to do something that I've achieved. So it's nice to give back those experiences and and yes, I've yes, I'd like to think that I've got some footballing knowledge, but I've also got some knowledge of how how they're feeling and what they're going through as well. And I think that's sort of equally as important when you're trying to guide these young players to become the best they can be. It's quite sort of black and white with what you do at the club, Sam. But I think with you, Marcus, it's like we know that you have this kind of ambassadorial position. Mm-hmm. We see you at match days, we see you on the YouTube channel and stuff. But what is a kind of day-to-day, like what are your main responsibilities at Brentford? What's one thing that you that you kind of enjoy more? Well, I think in my position um, as ambassador, it's, it's not the traditional route in terms of you just see me on a match day. You know, I work full time for the club, so I'm in the office every day, and and that affords me the the opportunity to learn more about the club, how it's run off the field. You know, just like Sam, you, you know, you miss being out on the grass. Well, I do. Sam doesn't because that's why he's got his lovely tan. Every time I see him, I'm quite jealous that he's out there on the grass. He looks fresh and healthy. And then there's me at the other end of it um, in an office, but I'm enjoying that life as well. You know, I, I can understand how the club is run. So when I do go on to media duties and such, I can explain a lot more than a traditional sort of club ambassador because I'm around it every day, mixing with different departments from marketing to partnership, the content, uh, community sports trust um, initiatives as well. So. I am sort of like the club octopus and I've got a tentacle all over the place, um, which suits me because I like the difference of, of sort of uh, the workspaces as well and, and difference of people. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk a little bit later about sort of the, the background stuff that you might see more of than, than Sam does. But Sam, you, you were at the club before the formation of the B team and you now have an active role in that side. What I kind of wanted, I've always wanted to know because I think a lot of people know quite a bit about the B team and they know the mantra behind it. But in, in what specific ways does Brentford B help younger players in maybe a manner that a traditional academy wouldn't? Um, I wouldn't say that we do things that or improve players that academies 
don't or wouldn't because there's a lot of academies that are very successful at what they do. I just feel at the time that we formed the B team, I felt that was right for the club then. Um, with the finances, with the with what we had uh, as competition at the time. Um, so that was something that fitted the club then, as in a B team model. But like I say I'd never be I'd never disregard other academies and what they do and how they've done things because you see over the years that some of these academies have produced some top, top players. Um, what we felt at the time is we could maybe change the fixture list slightly and give different fixtures. Um, but they're always in the focus of trying to get players through to the first team as quickly as possible. Uh, at that moment, that's for the B team. Is it always going to be a B team? Who knows? We don't know what five years down the line looks like. But see... It's worked for us. It's not going to work for everyone. Um, but it's, it's definitely a model that I've enjoyed working at because it, it feels more like a first team than a, than a 21s or a 23s team. But as mm -hmm. I say, for us, it works that way right now. In five years, is it going to be the same? Who knows? We've well, got the Academy 2 now, so it's kind of you've got, you've got both kind of comparisons there together. You... Exactly. That's why I say I'd never disregard another Academy or, or even our own Academy that's coming through. So... It's. Um, I think you've always got in football. You've always got to be quite flexible and, and moving with the times. And if we see in future that it might have to move back, who knows? But obviously, for the last five years that I worked, it's been a really, really strong uh, tool that the clubs used. Obviously, for, for developing young talent and getting them through to the first team. Well, Marcus, you were kind of that developing young talent. When when you look back at the start of your career under Phil Holder. Do you did you know at the time that the squad had the capability to to do something special when you were coming through? Yeah, there was little signs of a good squad was being put together. Um, and back then, the squads were much smaller than today, so you probably had a, a first team squad of about sixteen to maybe eighteen players as a maximum, and then it was supplemented by the youth team. And I was part of that that youth team that was putting pressure for the first team, so um, we was able to get our game time. Um, it took a little while for me to sort of get going, a bit like Sam. But um, during those first two years, it was a couple of loan periods that really fixed me up for the for the long career, I would say. So, um, you know, the, the squad was a good one. It was building. I think the first full year I had, we got to the playoffs. And then the second year, we got promoted. And then the third year, we got relegated. <laughs> and then the fourth year, I got sold. So it was like a... <laughs> A mad little roller coaster for a young player um, to go through some some highs, a little bit of a low, and then another sort of high where you get sold on. What was it about about Brentford that made you stay for for a longer period of time than, than maybe other players would have? Um, Brentford's all, it's always been a, a club of opportunity, and um, it's given me my first opportunity in the pro game, and. Um, <laughs> It was always like that from when I was young. You saw a lot of turnover of players, the opportunity to try and get into that team, and it was down to you. Once you crossed the white lines, it's down to you to try and perform and stay in that team. So, you know, I was very proud to come through through, through our ranks and to be one of our own. Not to say that you sing a Harry Kane song about me, but, you know, I was one of our own that came through um, and the fans knew about my journey from when I was, you know, under 16, so... Very grateful for the opportunity. And um, yeah, it's always meant quite a lot to me anyway. And, and Sam, you mentioned earlier, kind of 
seven, eight, nine years at the club. What, what about Brentford for you kind of led to that long period? Um, no one else would take me probably during that period of time. But no, <laughs> no of, of seriousness, that I, I joined the club at 24. Um, coming to the to pro game really late. Um, maybe 25 I may join as Brentford as it goes. But I come into the programme really late. But I didn't lack ambition and drive to keep pushing forward and play as high as possible. And it just so happened that I was lucky enough to join a club that had the same ambitions. So I, I'd never had real need to, to search to move uh, and to leave because my ambition and the club's ambition were aligned in that aspect. And I felt uh, when you get to 25, 26 years of age, and are really shooting the lights out. It's very difficult for someone to come in from a higher league and and push you forward quickly. So I, I realised that my best bet of playing as high as possible was with the club and just gave everything into helping the club try and push as far as they could. And as I say, as a player, I was lucky enough to go, obviously, up via League One and then, obviously, obviously into the Championship and then, was in a few seasons there and obviously lucky enough to come back and witness the club as obviously a coach at the time get promoted to the Premier League. So it's been a, it's been a real good journey for player and coach. But yeah, the, the, the answer to your question in short was the fact that my, mine and the club's ambition were aligned and we both wanted to improve season by season. And uh, yeah, that was definitely the case. I've got a couple more on Brentford B, Sam, just before we start talking about your, your playing career and some specifics. We we open this we open this up to to our listeners as well, and everyone wants to know which Brentford B player has impressed you the most since you took the role, and uh, any any prospects that we should be looking out for in in Brentford B. Um, this one's quite tough because you, you don't really want to single out too many names because <laughs> there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of talent that has come through. There's been a lot of talent that are out on loan at me, like you say, the likes of Paris Magoma and. Um, Ryan Trevitt, Max Cox, Tristan Cramer, they're all going out and doing really well on their loan moves, uh, playing week in, week out, really impressing. Um, and you, you look at the players that are maybe a different route where they came in to the B team, spent a short amount of time, and then now first team squad regulars like Mads Rosleff. Or you've got now at the moment, you've got Michael Olakigby or Yarp. Yarmouk, who's come in, Yegor, who's, who's we've been really proud of what Yarmouk's come and done because he come over obviously from Ukraine, didn't speak a word of English, got a bad injury last season, and he's come back and he's just his attitude and his mindset to 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 work so hard. You can see his performances when he's come on. He's not look out like that one bit, and now he's, he's he's looking very strong, very assured, and I'm sure Thomas, as I say, has no. No question marks in throwing him in, and I'm sure he get more and more minutes as the season progresses. So to to not answer your question, but answer your question, there's a, there's a good few that have come through that we've been really proud of. Um, even the playoff final, um, the semi, obviously the semi final and the final, you looked at that, and the B team boys that were either on the bench or kind of like Forzy who's moved on now. And you said Max Rosliff, you had Bistrup and. Um, Mads Beck Sorensen, these boys that had come through the B team to see them help the club get promoted to the Premier League was, was obviously a proud moment for the B team. 
we are we're big fans of Yarmulek on this podcast. We have been since we've seen him be playing this season. Um, we're, we're, I'm, I'm hoping that he actually gets a start against Arsenal. I did just want to ask because you mentioned Thomas at the end, Sam. How much involvement does does Thomas have with the B team? Is it kind of like you give him reports, or is he watching training all the time? How does it kind of work? Uh, it's impossible for Thomas to watch the training because obviously we're training at the same time as what the first team are training. But uh, we have meetings every week with, the, say, particularly the first team coaching staff who, who relate to Thomas, uh, players that we have particularly high hopes with. Um, like last season when we won the Premier League Cup, he came to the semi-final at Fulham and the home game. So he comes to obviously those kind of games as well to see the players performing at see the, the big games to see how they react. Um, he's, he's, I say, we, 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 we work so closely with the first team, so the B-team boys are always popping over and training with the first team, um, always joining particular parts of sessions and stuff. So Thomas knows all the B-team boys by first name. You know, he knows all of them. So if they come over and do well enough and impress, they'll get an opportunity. And that's a big selling point for us as a club is the fact that if you sign for the B-team, you'll get an opportunity to be in front of that first team manager impress. And then that then it's down to them. It's down to them to take their opportunities. Um, but they will certainly get them being involved in the beating. Yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't surprise me that Thomas knows all their names. It, it kind of strikes me as that kind of manager. Marcus, you've, you've played under a few managers at Brentford. Mm-hmm. Steve Perryman, Phil Holder, David Webb, Martin Allen in your second stint at the club. How would you assess their managerial styles? Who do you work best with? Who was the best in your opinion? Who didn't work for whatever reason? Um, it'd be harsh to say who it didn't work with, but there's one name on there. <laughs> um, I'm not too um, favourable with him, so I'll leave him unnamed. But um, <laughs> all of them are quite essential to my journey anyway. You know, I started off with Steve Perman as a kid, and um, he was tough going. You know, he would test you mentally, physically, in every aspect, even to the point I hated him at one stage. I didn't really want to talk to him. But um, it's only looking back over many years, you you've, you realise the sort of life skills he was trying to implement into you. He really wanted to build that sort of trust with you off the field before he put you on the field. And I think that's pretty much the same in today's game. Um, so I'm always grateful for that. I think with Phil Holder, um, he took over from, from um, Steve. And I knew Phil loved me from day dot. From the moment I met him at 15 years of age, I knew he was a big fan of myself. It was a case of just biding my time. Um, that time came after a, a six-month spell out on loan in Finland. And um, Phil, Phil put me back in the team, or well, he put me into the team within about two weeks. And um, I was able to contribute over the next season three under him and uh, do really well. Um, Martin Allen, I would definitely say I learned a lot about how to sort of maybe coach youngsters or talk to youngsters. So each manager I played under, I learned something from them. I took some positive away from them, which was good. So I'm um, always grateful to the managers I played for because um, they're there for a reason. They're there in, in your life for that moment. Um, it's what opportunity you can create out of it. And um, I'd like to think I've learned something along the way from each and every one of them. Sam, what one manager you worked well under was, was definitely Uwe Rosler. There's, we've kind of spoken to people at the club before and they've said how when he came in, things at the club kind of changed with his with his arrival. I know you mentioned at the top that you didn't really get much joy under Andy Scott, but following his departure, you had a big role scoring 12 times and assisting nine in 43 appearances in the 2011-12 season. What, what did Uwe change when he came to the club and 
how did that affect your game specifically? Um, well, I think I think the game was changing. Obviously, first of all, he was the first foreign manager I ever worked under. But with Andy Scott, even then, like it was very much if you don't fit into that formation, you, you don't really play. Uh, whereas now, people change formations. People change formations in possession. People change formations out of possession. People change formations in build-up. So it's a lot different now. And oh, I wish I played at these these times now when it was so much more technical and there was there was more patterns and there was there was more thinking to the game rather than first contact, second balls, balls in the box. Um, I wish I was playing now. But yeah, it's um, yeah, Uwe fought differently, more professional, miles more professional than any manager that I'd come across. The demands, the expectation of not only on the two hours on the grass every day, your whole life. How you lived, he made me move. I was a South London boy. He made me move over to to Brentford. He weren't having me in the car for an hour and a half there and back every day. So, yeah, he, um, he really, really changed that. Obviously, and I think that all that little bits of the professionalism all into one. Like I said, I come into the game late. So, under Uva, I was probably 25 before I properly got coached. I had to the little tiny details in in the game. Um, so he helped, he helped me a lot. I speak to him still now. Um, he helped me a lot. Really interesting character, really intense, but he knew he, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, but I, I enjoyed playing under uh, Mark, Mark Walton as well. I really enjoyed that. I thought him and Rosler coming at different times worked really well together because Rosler was very functional, very organised, lots of discipline, lots of fitness. And Wolves was a bit more free-flowing, going attack. So we, we, had the, we had a bit of both there. So I thought that worked really well of us going, maybe the shackles were off a little bit from Wolverton after Uwe, but Uwe put in some real strong foundations. So I think that's why the team uh, worked really well together. Uh, so yeah, like those two in particular were my favourite times. Uve and and Wolves. It was just a shame that I picked up the injury under Wolves because I, I was playing some really good stuff at the time. Sam, you played quite a few different positions, you know, across your Brentford career through the midfield on the wings. What what would be your favourite? You know, if you could go to the manager, you know, say put me in the ten, would, would that be it? So um, the favourite position, it, on, it depends on the formation. Now, yeah, obviously, like I said, you can play two formations, three more formations in the game. In possession, out possession, in build up. So, just obviously, I just love the fact that people play so much more football now. So, I was very comfortable taking the ball, handling the ball. Um, but yeah, anywhere, my one, I say, one of my biggest regrets is not knocking down Dean Smith's door um, in, in my latter stages of my Brentford career and just saying, listen, give me three or four games in centre of the park. Let me play in the middle of the park because I wasn't, I didn't have the the pace for out wide anymore uh, but I really felt that I could take the ball as well as any of his midfield players at the time and I felt that that could have really extended my Brentford career and that's probably my biggest regret as I didn't go in and say listen give me a chance if it don't work out I say you'll never hear from me again just give me an opportunity because I knew deep down I felt that like I could have handled that and I, I, when I left Brentford I went to play centre midfield for the night or being a league below but those that, that position in the league below was harder than playing centre midfield in the championship because it was more physical. But in the championship, we've got so much time on the ball and 
you had so much opportunity on the ball. Like I said my best my best games are when I was allowed to roam, get on the ball, make things happen, and be effective that way. Uh, but in my prime, probably I'd have said oh, either off the left or in the ten. But loads of people reckon remember me for being a right winger. Marcus, do you do you kind of watch the game nowadays too, and and have the same thoughts about sort of I'd wish to be a player in this era as opposed to when you were? Yeah, most definitely for more reasons than another. <laughs> um, the, the conditions of the ground, like when I made my debut, there was sand all over the pitch. It was boggy. It was heavy, but the demands were the same as today. You still had to beat a player. I was a left winger, as you know, or you might not know. Um, yeah, as I said, the demands were the same. So I do look back and think, if I was playing today, where would I play in this team? Um, it's quite flexible, which would suit me as well. Um, I would probably still put myself on the left wing in certain games. At the higher level, um, in that position. But yeah, I would have loved to play today, no, no doubt. Um, the, the game I came from was a very physical game. So if I if I kept that physicality today, I don't think no one's really going to try and stop me because it was I was probably too physical at times. But that was the state of the game. Now, if a winger that's six foot two is running at you at full pace and he's got a strong left foot that can cross and shoot, I think you, you'd be very wary of that player indeed because you, you don't really see them um, in, in this modern day game. But... You know, I'm, I'm still fascinated with what we're seeing right now. We're watching the best ever uh, football at Brentford's in, in, in our history. Um, the quality is so high. Um, everything about it is like a new world here at the club. Um, proud to be able to witness it with my own eyes. And um, I still pinch myself. Most weeks, I still pinch myself. Saturday against Arsenal, I'll be pinching myself thinking, this is Brentford versus Arsenal in the Premier League. Because when I started, that was like thinking you're going to fly to the moon or something, near on impossible. But here we are competing, holding our own and looking to go and beat them. So I'm, I'm so proud of where we've we've come from and where we are today. When, where would you say you were playing your best football, Marcus? Was it away from Brentford or was it with Brentford? Because I know you had a yeah. long career with Wimbledon as well. But yeah. where, where would you say you were playing your best football? Um, I would have to say it was... Wimbledon, Wimbledon in the Premier League. Um, that's probably one of. It's not a regret, but the Brentford fans never saw the best version of me. They saw the very start, all the potential, and then he. I got sold. I didn't want to get sold at, sold on at that time, due to the manager that I won't name. But um, <laughs> the decision was made, and I was off. Um, so I had to fly pretty quick in the Premier League and hold my own, but. As I said, the Brentford fans never saw the best version of me. They saw me leave here at 23. And then the next time they saw me, I was 34. <laughs> um, totally different person. So um came back with a lot of experience. I knew I wasn't going to play every week. I knew what the fans were used to when I was from 20 to 23. Long, powerful runs, shooting from silly angle, trying to smash the crossbar and the keeper. Um that weren't going to happen at 34. So it was making that adjustment to to myself and, and, and allowing the crowd to sort of see there is a difference with me. I'm not going to be able to do those lung bursting runs as I did as a kid, but I did enjoy my time. I, I love the interaction with the fans now that keep talking about those times. 
And um, as I said, I'm just so proud to see the club where we are right now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I agree with you and you say it's pinch yourself stuff every week. We kind of come on this podcast sometimes and we talk about these results as if they're kind of nothing when we go and play Liverpool or play Arsenal, whereas sometimes you just need to kind of step back and appreciate the bigger picture. Sam, one of the questions that we've got from people is, do you see yourself as the Brentford manager one day with, with the coaching work that you're doing now, with your kind of status at the club? Do you see that as a possibility? I think I think Gailey will, will, will tell you, let's say, I, we don't, we, if we, we try and shoot as high as we can, listen, I think that, I'd sit there and lie and say it wouldn't be a dream. Is it? Is it a realistic dream? Yeah, but there's going to be a lot, a lot of work in between. Um, just, just currently got onto the pro license, so I'll be, I'll be working on that now, which is obviously the best coaching accolade you can get, eyes for the certificate base and stuff. But I think at some point I'm going to have to go out and and and, and do it myself. I think first and foremost before that could even be a consideration. Uh, I think if the club was in League One on the Championship, it'd be a, it'd be a different scenario. And if you, but you're looking at, I say, like Ali said, best football the club's ever played under the best manager the club's ever had. Um, so it's yeah, obviously we've all got dreams and aspirations, and like I said earlier, I'm ambitious um, and will work as hard as I can for as long as I can. But um, yeah, it's I know there's a lot a lot of work ahead. In terms of becoming a manager and, and going and doing it, what, what would you say you've learned from from Thomas specifically? Um, be yourself. Be yourself. Um, I think what you see in the press and what you see in on the sidelines is Thomas in a nutshell. It is him in a nutshell. He's just one of the most nicest guys. Uh, you could ever meet, but he. I say I think Gally would he, he, he will allude to the fact that when he used to have managers and that they used to, they used to drive by fear, and Thomas doesn't need to do that. He 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 drives by by respect, and treating people are he'd like to be treated. Um, and I say just being himself, just completely being yourself. And that's how I'd ever always want to be, is just be your own man. And if it works, at least you can go and say, listen, I was completely authentic. Um, and if it doesn't work, you say you can put your head in the pillow and go, you tried your best. It's good advice. It's very good advice. I I, I wasn't surprised by that because I've, I've lots watched lots of sort of people talking about Thomas Frank and they, they say as much. So he does seem like sort of what you get in the presser is what you get in person if you've met him on on the street or at the pub or something like that. Um, Marcus, I, I wanted to ask you who you think in the current Brentford squad has the potential to be named amongst people like Marcus Gale and Sam Saunders as Brentford Hall of Famers or Brentford Legends. Who who could you see fulfilling that, that kind of potential? <laughs> That's a big question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll answer it the best way. I would say, look, all them boys that got us promoted from the championship um, into this Premier League, I think all of those boys need to be in that for sure. Uh, um, you know, I work with the current legends now, trying to get them in, trying to get Sammy Saunders in, but he's, he's way too busy. But I'm going to get him in there. Um, <laughs> and I always say to fans, I said, look, in years to come, we're going to be 
inundated with our our legends program because of what's happening today. Um, because the list is so long, we just got to give these players time to to play out their career. Um, they know they're always going to be loved at this club. But if I had to put a name on it right now, you'd probably think, really? But I'm going to go for one of the quietest guys. I know he's a bit of a joker, but he's, he's very shy. But I'm going, to, I'm going to go for Rico Henry right now. Um, I think for the length of service, I think the impact, especially like what I, what I say about our fans is that, yes, we do care if we win or lose, but it's in the manner how we do things, how we operate on that field. We're given 100%. Um, that's the main thing. And we saw a goal, I think it was start of the season, Rico's played a back pass, it's been intercepted, and they've scored, the opposition have scored. But the reaction of the crowd towards him was, it was Rico, Rico. They they loved him so much, even though he made the mistake, they got his head straight back up. And I think that that is special. So that's why I would say Rico for me. Um, he stands out for me as a, a very loyal individual that is much loved and respected and his performance is a the top draw top top draw yeah no i 100 agree i think rico is a he's such a big miss this season when he went down against newcastle you know we we're all kind of fearing the worst and he, he is such an important cog in our team i'd go as far as say he's the most important cog in that team so i would not be surprised especially if he has a long career at brentford which i hope he does if he, if he is inducted into that Hall of Fame eventually. Sam, I think I've got a question. We've got a couple more questions before we move on to some some a few from Twitter and then we'll do a little quick fight at the end because I don't want to keep you guys uh, any longer. But one, one of the questions I regret not asking Jonathan Douglas when we had him on, Sam, was about sort of players' interaction with social media. From from your own experiences and from speaking to the current players in, in the Brentford squad and the Brentford B setup, how much would you say players interact with the opinions of fans because like Marcus said we you know fans care if we win or we lose we go on Twitter and we do podcasts and we voice our opinions how much how much do you think that players take that into account how much do they listen how much do they talk about it if any um yeah I don't feel like players would go to another player and say oh so and so said a bad game but I think that one thing that it does do is you could have a hundred nice messages and you get one and you focus on the bad one um, which is which is ridiculous, really, because the guy that's probably writing it hasn't got a clue, or Jeremy's saying it with, with emotion behind it rather than actual real, real detail of what he's trying to say. Um, so, listen, social is brilliant for so many reasons, but also it can be negative for so many reasons. Um, I feel that. Particularly after poor results, for me, that I don't see any any benefit of going onto these kind of platforms and engaging because I don't feel that there's nothing but negative stuff that can come from it. I'm always on the aspects that I'd rather just not know and just move forward. Uh, but players do read up everything, and I feel like that's probably sometimes an insecurity of a player that probably wants to read up on everything. And I don't. I, I think that that can just be a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, for me, I'd always encourage not really engage too much um, because what I need that is that the performance is now gone. You can't really affect that. You can only affect what's coming up on the next training session, on the next game. And you don't want that anchoring you moving forward, you know. Um, so that's where I'd always 
try and edge on the fact that that's in the past. You can't affect it. What you can affect now is your mindset going into the next training session, into the next game. Yeah, I, I think um, what I really wanted to know, Sam, was do we have any listeners in the Brentford squad? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Not if it was hard to get on the position as it was earlier for me, I tell you. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I, think they, I think everyone's got their little podcasts and stuff they listen to in the cars and so forth. And, um, but yeah, you'd have to get one of the players on to uh, find that out. I'm well, on the other side, I'm a coach. <laughs> I'm on the other side. You put a good word in for us, Sam, no? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it depends how much I get paid for later. <laughs> All right. No worries. No worries. Hopefully, right, so no Gailey, we're issues. not getting paid. Moving on swiftly. I, I think we've got some questions uh, from Twitter. Actually, just one more before we, before we move on to the next section, Sam. I asked this question of Dougie, and I thought I'd ask it anyway, just as a cheeky one. Can you tell us what happened with Dougie and Yotta, or is that behind closed doors? It's just what happens in every dressing room over the country, week in, week out. Dougie blamed Yotta for a goal. Yotta disagreed, and there's an argument. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that, really. But obviously, Fair as you know, my friend Dougie, if he, if he falls out of you, he falls out of you for a long time. And he don't forget. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I, I thought as much. We've got some questions for Twitter. Marcus, we've got Peter Hollins on Twitter asking, how do you think we would have got on in the championship if we'd have got promoted under Martin Allen? And how easy was it to transition to centre-back under Allen? Oh, good question. The first part's a good question. The second part, I'll answer that after. Um I thought we had some good, talented players, young players. Uh, Jay Tab, uh, obviously a young Kevin O'Connor, Michael Turner at the back. Um, we had a goal scorer in DJ Campbell, but we sold him in January. Um, many fans I speak to, they always cite that was the reason we didn't get promoted that year because he was on such great form. and They all believe that we would have got promoted with him. So it would have been interesting to see how we fared I, I, I felt deep down we probably would have struggled at the very start trying to adapt to that new level. And also, the I wouldn't be too aware of the club budget at that time, but I'm sure it weren't going to be a top 10 budget. It would have been obviously the lower end of that, that league. Um, so that would have made an impact on, on who we could have brought in. Um, I would like to think I would have played at that, that level at that age. I would have been, what, 35? But... The chances are probably not. Um, I probably would have been doing like Sam's role right now, being a, a coach and trying to pass on my wealth of experience and knowledge onto the youngsters that needed that sort of support system around. So I would have thought that that squad it might have struggled to start with, but I think the players that were in there, quite a few of them went on to play Championship or even Premier League football. Perfect. Uh, we've got another question from Chef Big Dog. Um, this is to both of you. So, uh, out of the current crop of players, uh, who would you like to play with the most and why? Uh, we'll go to you first, Sam. Um, could I have two? Of course. <laughs> yep. It's got to be Norgard in the midfield, just to obviously just break everything up like he does, be the be the general that he is um, and, and give me the ball. And then if I'm looking up and I've got Ivan Tony in the box, then my assists will go through the roof. 
So I wouldn't mind playing with those two week in, week out. Yeah, great choice. How about yourself, Marcus? Um, I think I need to finish off the second part of that first question. I made that tra- transition at, at Watford and I loved it. I felt like a, a youngster again trying to learn some new tricks. Um, and in fact, I was their player of the year 20 years ago, coming out of the coming straight out of being a centre forward into a centre back. And I knew people were having a little sniggle as well, like having a little laugh. That was within the camp. But I believed in my own ability. And um, especially when you got people like Sean Dyche, who's a proper centre-half. You're keeping him out of the team. I'm in the team dominating based on what I could do with the ball. You know, I was a ball-playing centre-half. I was to take the ball down under pressure and then travel forward because I was a forward. I was a left wing. I was a centre-forward. So I knew how to move forward with the ball. So um, that's the answer to that. So there weren't no transition under Martin Allen. That was already made. Um, player today I would love to have played with, I've got to say, Matty Jensen. I think his vision and his array of passes, um, I'm trying to imagine myself on the left wing or up front with him supplying the ball. Um, I think I would have been far more effective with someone like that, with that special vision that he has and that quality that he possesses. Yeah, I think, Mark, just to go back, to not it's not a question from Twitter, but it's just one that I forgot to ask earlier. I wanted to know about the sort of the contrast in owners, because obviously Matthew Benham's been at the club now for a long time, but Brentford have a history of owners that, you know, aren't Brentford fans and, you know, Ron Nodes and QPR and all that kind of stuff. What what did you, what do you see now that's different to when you were a player back then under different owners? Uh, I think what I see today with Matthew Benham is that this is a man that had a vision, a long-term vision, a crazy vision, because I'm sure all the, the owners of the past had the same sort of dreams. But I think, obviously, Matthew's putting his money where, where it counts. And when you've got a, an owner that says, you know, I want to I want to see this club in the Premier League and achieve it as well, you've got to take your hat off to the guy. He's, he's done unbelievably well for this football club. And... Um, you can see what he meant. We get an insight to what goes on in his head with all the progression that we're, we're currently enjoying right now is that he saw this many, many years ago where a lot of probably didn't even think about it, that it could happen. So I'll definitely say that part of that, that intelligence, that sort of sort of genius as well, to have that foresight to think, you know what, this is going to be a Premier League club where I would say nine out of ten of fans probably, that ain't going to happen. But Matthew's made those dreams come true. And as I said, I'll be amongst the 17,000 in there pinching ourselves, um, watching us in the Premier League. So can't wait, really. Yeah, no, I think he's done a tremendous job since he took over the club and it's just gone up since he's since he's been there. I've got one more question from Twitter for both of you before we do the quick fire stuff at the end. Uh, Brentford Westander asks, which teammate from their time at Brentford would fit into Brentford's current eleven. Sam, we'll, we'll go to you first, mate. Uh, which teammate? <coughs> Probably not going to be a popular one. This, to be honest, but don't say Tarkowski. Harley Dean. Oh, okay. Tarkowski. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, said you, you see, you see <laughs> Tarkowski. He's, he, like I know he didn't. He, he left under a bit of a cloud, but there's no denying the lad's top 
and you see obviously the other week when he come down, um, he's he's he's. I think he's got a lot. I think personally, I think that he's been overlooked at times from from England. At times when England was short at centre half, um, I think he can play in most teams in the Premier League. I think I know we we've got a strong a backline and we've got some top players, but I think Taki's quality. Yes, he he can defend the box, but he's he's a ray of passing. Comfortable on the ball, good character on the pitch, and he was a leader as well. I know, obviously, he left under a cloud, but for me, I think he yeah, he, he was top level. Marcus, um, I'm, I may have two. So the first one would be my good mate Dean Holdsworth. Known him since we were teenagers. He was just a natural goal scorer, left foot, right foot, header. He had all of the all the type. To finish, and he's proven that with having a Premier League career as well and a good amount of goals. Um, I think the second one would probably be more where the fans are feeling. Like when I talk to the fans about players from my generation playing today, the one name that keeps coming up is uh, Neil Smiley. They say he was a proper winger, he was a short, powerful winger, knew how to beat his man, could deliver the pinpoint cross. He had a tremendous engine about him. So it would be, if I could get two, it would be those two. Perfect. I've got one last one for you, Sam. I'm not going to ask you about that free kick because I, I saw the BT Sport you guys you guys did recently and it says that's the most popular question you ever get asked. And it is by far because I did it on Twitter and there's about six different people asking you about that free kick. Um, yeah. So I won't ask you about that. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I wanted to... Yeah, I, that <laughs> I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to know what that celebration at Peterborough was about because I was at that game and I only caught the celebration afterwards on the TV on the highlights. What was it? What was the thinking behind that celebration? Because it was quite out there. Um, it was just a little bit of banter with uh, a few of the lads. It was just like a little phrase that if you used to say anything that was half decent, you'd just give a little, little sniff of the nose and just give it the big one. Like it was just that, <laughs> and it was just. Um, <laughs> If to Harley Dean, I said, I'm going to score today. And he went, oh, if you score, you've got to do so. I think you can see, I think it was Harley Dean and Jake Reeves, I think. And I just did that, but obviously a really extravagant version of it. Uh, but yeah, just, just some stupid dressing room banter, as most of the celebrations are. You copyrighted that celebration. Bellingham should be having a few. You should be having a few words with Bellingham because it's the same one, is it not? Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, I think. I think you'd be able to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> Chat. So we'll finish off with some quick fire questions. We'll go Marcus and then Sam. Uh, first one is favourite player you played with, Marcus. Uh, Dean Holdsworth. Sam. Because I used to wind him up, Jonathan Douglas. Favourite current Brentford player, Marcus. Matty Jensen. Sam. I do like Matty. I do like Matty a lot. Um, but I'm going to say Brian. Brian Abumo, good choice, good choice. Yeah. Favourite game playing for Brentford, Marcus? This this is a tough one. I'm, I know that Peterborough away must stick out in the memory yeah. as a good one. I'm going to go 4-0 up, which um, enabled us to go on with the title in, how long ago was it? 1992. Sam? 3-0 uh, up to Fulham. We love that. Cool. Both guests and cool. Both guests saying that a good a good win against Fulham. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> favorite favorite manager to work under. Sam, did you 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 said that you you had fun working under Warps or was it was it 
Uve. Yeah, I, I said it was. If I could have a, a, a Wolves and Uve cocktail, it would be perfect for me. But <laughs> I think that I love. I did love playing under Wolves, and I think that I wasn't. When I come back from my injury, I still I wasn't playing all the time because he signs Alan Judge and Alex Pritchard, who weren't too bad, and um, they were in my position, so it was very difficult. But I still couldn't. I still really like Wolves. I really liked his sessions. I liked everything about him. And obviously, that's that's the sign of a really good manager for me. Is if the players are not playing, they still find a manager as really really good. So, but I think Uve just for the fact that he, he showed me professionalism and he showed me what it took to be an actual actual player and and on my game improved under him. So I'd have to say Uve just for the fact that he showed me the professionalism. Marcus, favorite manager to work under. Uh, definitely Phil Holder. Phil Holder? Yeah, gave me my chance, believed in me, loved me, put an arm around me when I needed it, gave me a rocket when I needed it. So it was a, it was a, a good mixture for me. Perfect. And then I, I feel like you might have already answered this one with both of you giving Fulham answers. Beat Fulham or QPR, Sam? Uh yeah, Fulham keep it a bit irrelevant at the minute, they? <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, you going the same? I'll be the same, yeah. Definitely Fulham. <laughs> and the last one, chaps. Toughest opponent you face, Sam? Um, for Brentford? Yeah, 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 for Brentford. Yeah, got to be in that FA Cup run when we played Chelsea. Uh, God, it was, they, had, they had everyone. I played right wing the game and it was against Bertrand and then it was also against Ashley Cole. He weren't too bad, was he? So I probably won him too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a lot playing. Terry Lampard. Uh, it was just ridiculous, that lineup. So, yeah, any of the Chelsea boys that in that season. Didn't uh, Marcelo Trotter have a goal ruled out at Chelsea for us to go 1-0 up? Or am I imagining that? Mm, I remember, was, was it, we... I can't remember. Was, was, was we 2-0 up? 2-0 up at home? I think it was 2-0 yeah, at home and we drew 2-0. Two two yeah, 2-0 up at home, we drew 2 all, And then in the replay, we, we lost 4-0, didn't we, Clayton? And then I, I swear Marcelo Trotter had a goal disallowed that was wrongly disallowed. Maybe I'm imagining well, that, I don't know. Well, while we got this one in, you asked us about a funny story. Can I drop this one in now? Just because then I'm out and it. I'm done then. Yeah? Go for it. Uh, <laughs> at Stanford Bridge, obviously, the, the replay, um, I come on that game and... I don't know if you remember the big controversy about um, David Louise elbowing the young Jake Reeves. Jake Reeves, and yeah. It was a, yeah. But later on in that game, me and Louise went for a header and we clashed heads. And it was probably it was before like, the concussion stuff was in. So I, I carried on playing. Get to the dressing room. Can't remember the last 10 minutes of the game. Get to the dressing room. And I just remember the doc around me and a few of the boys around me. And obviously, they must have been aware that I just obviously wasn't myself. Said about the bang on my head, and they said to me, like, I asked you obviously the concussion questions and that. And they said, right, What was the score? And I've just got a blank thinking, What was the score? And then one of the lads, I can't remember it was, said to me, Storms, we won 1 0, you scored the winner. So I thought, <laughs> Oh my God, won 1 0, scored the winner. It's down for a bridge. They just all started rolling over, and we lost 4 0. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But that split second, I scored the winner at Stanford Bridge. Uh, no, no, that's a good one. That's a good one, uh, Marcus. Toughest opponent you face, and then we'll get your funniest Brentford story, and then and then we can wrap. Um, there was a right back at Fulham a guy called John Marshall, who was quite a bit older than myself, well experienced, but he 
he always tried to kick me, like most fullbacks. So there was him and another one called Jeff Harding. I think I come across him at Reading. And this guy, <laughs> he had a gum shield in his mouth playing right back against me. So um, I knew it was game on. And then there was a break and he took his gum shield out. And he had no teeth in his mouth. So I'm like, <laughs> crazy guy to try and stop me. Um, so we just ended up kicking each other off the ball, swinging arms, everything. So it'd be a mix-up between those two. But um, I think I was, was a, a target myself, being 6'2", um, and a bit gangly as well. I, I probably stood out on the wing because you didn't really get wingers that tall. Um and um, yeah, it kind of invited a lot of rough challenges. So I had teammates that would say, "Look, okay, hit first, ask questions later," and that's how I overcame a lot of these early exchanges in, in, in my career. But you won't be able to do it now. I'll probably get um, red carded or something. But yeah, those two. Um, I'm trying to think of a crazy Brentford story. There, there is one we played at home. I'm not going to mention the name, but he was the captain of the team at the time, who had scored. And then, you know, you run back to the halfway line to sort of retake the game. But I've seen my captain run down the tunnel, holding his rear end. And I'm like, where's he going? So he's kicked off the game. <laughs> and he came back on, he's played. But it's always stuck in my mind, like, Skip, what happened, man? He said he passed wind and followed through. <laughs> so, um, Reason why you had to leave the pitch, like at the, at the, <laughs> of the match. I was like, "Wow, this is Brentford, all right." But yeah, there's nothing more I could really add as any sort of funny stories. Um, it was a very long time ago. Very, I was very focused and serious at that time in my career, so um, I didn't really have ch chance to get too much involved with all the jokes that came a bit later on in life. But um, <laughs> the first period was um, it was it was tough going. There's a few jokes, but I stayed well clear out of all of them yeah i'm sure there's there's many stories that ex-pros could tell us that would not be allowed to be told on a podcast but nonetheless those those are two very very good submissions so cheers for that chaps i think that's that's a good point to uh round off the podcast the Edinburgh podcast will be back this week with another special episode we're actually doing a brentford tier list uh so sam marcus you're both going to feature in that not that you'll listen or anything but we're going to do a brentford <laughs> players tier list which will be fun and uh, we're also going to have an Arsenal preview coming out this week. So keep your eyes peeled for that across our socials. That's at the Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. And remember, guys, just before we go, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do share it around with your mates. Subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels and also leave a rating as well because it helps us out massively. Sam, Marcus Clayton, it's been a massive pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Cheers, guys. Thanks Cheers. Podcast Network.